0: Hey guys, it's a great day to live for Jesus. My name is Pastor Mike Grover, and this is the In the Word podcast, a twice-weekly devotional journey through the New Testament, where together we will stop, look, and learn what the Lord has to say to us today. Today we are in the Word in Matthew chapter number 9. And in this chapter, we see one of the first signs of organized opposition against Jesus Christ by the Jewish leaders. And we see this by looking in the parallel account in Luke chapter five. One of the things I love about studying the gospels is being able to compare the different accounts and how all the witnesses bring their information together to give us a fuller picture. It's kind of like being in a courtroom and hearing witness after witness testify of the same event and putting it all together. In Luke chapter 5, in verse 17 of this account, it says, "...when they were come out of every town of Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and the power of the Lord was present there to heal them." So in that Luke's account, when the Jewish leaders come... To see Jesus here, it says they came from all over Israel. They came out of Galilee, they came out of Judea, they came also from the city of Jerusalem itself. And when you begin reading in this chapter, in verse 1, it says, He entered into a ship and passed over and came into his own city. And that would be Capernaum, where his ministry was headquartered out of. And behold, they brought to him a man sick of the palsy, a paralyzed man lying on a bed. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralyzed man, Son, be of good cheer, your sins are forgiven you. And behold, certain of the scribes said within themselves, This man blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven you, or to say, Arise and walk but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the sick of the palsy, Arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. And he arose and departed to his house. But when the multitude saw it, they marveled and glorified God, which had given such power unto men. So we see the story here. They crossed back over the Sea of Galilee to that northern coast of Capernaum. And this is the same account, if you read it over in Mark chapter number two, where it talks about Jesus being in a house and the crowds of people were so great around the house uh, that you couldn't even get through the door. And there was this paralyzed man that was carried on a bed or a stretcher by four other men. And because they couldn't get through the crowd, through the door, they actually carried him up onto the roof and ripped open the roof and lowered him before Jesus. So that's Mark's account. It gives quite a bit more information than Matthew does here. And they lay this man on the stretcher and they lower him down in front of Jesus Christ, and Jesus says to him, "Son, your sins are forgiven you." Now, what a stir, because for the first time you see these religious leaders that have heard so much about Jesus, really gathering around to see what's going on and really to oppose him. And Jesus just calls them out immediately by stating that he has the power to forgive sins. And their response was, wow, this is blasphemy. So Jesus often went about healing in order to draw attention to himself. When Jesus came to the earth, we understand that he came to be the savior of the whole world and dying for the world's sins on the cross. But you have to understand that he first came to the Jews as the fulfillment of so many of the messianic prophecies and promises that had been made in the Old Testament. One of them is found in Isaiah 35 verses 5 and 6. It says, "...then the eyes of the blind will be opened, the ears of the deaf will be unstopped. Then will the lame leap as a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing, for in the desert shall waters break out and streams in the desert." And so what you have here is this fulfilling of these prophecies that said one of the ways you're going to know when the true Messiah comes is the power that he has to heal, And it's going to be at a time when Israel is really in a desert place. And it's going to be like waters coming up out of the desert. Indeed, Israel was in a dry place. They hadn't really had open revelation from God in 400 years. And here comes this man on the scene claiming to be the Son of God and actually verifying it by the very signs that Isaiah and other prophets had said would come. And so the healing ministry of Jesus had a very specific purpose. His healings were signs. We're told in 1 Corinthians 1, 22 that the Jews require a sign. And even if you go back to the story of Moses when God was sending him into Egypt to free his people, Moses said, "'What sign will you give to me that I can show to the people so that they will believe?' So the Jews were always enamored with signs." You know, I hear people say sometimes today, why don't we have the intensity and the volume and the concentration of healings going on today like they did in the New Testament? And the range is everything from, well, that proves the Bible's not really true, it's just fictitious, to others that say, well, we don't have the same faith that they had then. Well, the reality is this, when Jesus came the first time, there was no real great presence of faith among the people. And so the miraculous concentration of miracles and healings that Jesus performed really wasn't because of the condition of the people, and it wasn't because the Bible's not true. It's because there was a very specific purpose in that time and then that moment that was associated with physical healing. It was a sign that Jesus truly was the Messiah that he truly was the son of God to these Jewish people. We still see healing today. God is a healer. God can heal. God is miraculous. All these things can take place. We just don't see them with the same intentionality and concentration as we did then because they served a very specific biblical purpose. What Jesus was doing when he came to this earth the first time is he was revealing himself as the Messiah. And we see several times in this chapter where it says the Pharisees saw or the scribes saw or the people marveled. Or in verse 26, his fame went throughout all of the land. Or in verse 31 where it says they spread his fame in all the country. So the obvious outcome of these miraculous interventions of Christ to mankind's suffering was a sign that would show people that God's Messiah had truly come. He was revealing himself. And when they said, who can forgive sins but God, they were absolutely correct. There wasn't anything wrong in that thought. The wrong is in their rejection of Jesus. Calvin said it this way, they proudly and wickedly rejected God who was openly manifest to them. So in this short statement of Jesus, your sins are forgiven you, he was really calling out the religious leaders. It's like an old Western where you see the good guys show up out on Main Street and they call out the bad guys for kind of a final showdown, kind of gunfight at the OK Corral kind of thing. And here's Jesus going to the heart of their animosity against him. And he says, your sins are forgiven you. He's not beating around the bush. He goes directly to a statement that could only be made by God himself. He wanted their attention and he got it. And when he did this, he explained to them. He said, "Um, I want you to know in verse six that you may know who I am, that you may know I have power, I did this. And then he asks a question. He says, is it easier to say your sins are forgiven, or is it easier to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? Well, obviously, it's easier to say your sins are forgiven, because I can say that, and there's really no proof it's taken place. But if I say to you, rise up and walk, and you don't, well, then that would prove that uh, I'm not legit. So he starts with the unprovable, and then he confirms it by the provable, and he ties these two things together so that he can give undeniable evidence to these religious leaders that he is who he said he is. If he can heal him, if he can raise him up, then that is verification of his former statement that he could forgive sins. You see, his power to forgive sins was attached to his power to heal. It made it undeniable. It made it visible. And what was the result in verse number eight? Basically, the multitudes were amazed. So mission accomplished. The Messiah shows his signs, the people are convinced of it, and he uses it as a rebuke to the false religious leaders of that day. So Jesus is God. He has the power to forgive. He has the power to heal. But then there's the other miracle of this story that we don't want to overlook, and that's that he has the power to know. Because when they said this is blasphemy, the Bible says they said this among themselves. This was kind of a private conversation, but it says in verse four that Jesus knew their thoughts. And so what they were talking about within themselves, he knew. He knew their thoughts. What an even greater sign that he was the Son of God, that he was God in the flesh. You know, the Bible talks in many places how God searches the hearts and the minds, and he knows all the thoughts of mankind. And here's that attribute, that omniscience of God, once again being applied to Jesus Christ. He knew their thoughts. But wait, he knows my thoughts. He knows your thoughts, So when I'm reading this and I'm seeing Jesus's knowledge of them, man, the obvious thing is he has that same knowledge of me. He knows my thoughts about him. He knows my thoughts about others. He even knows my thoughts about myself. Man, this gives me both accountability and comfort. Accountability that, hey, God knows what's going on in my life. God sees, but there's comfort in God knows what's going on in my life. God sees. You see, the omniscience of Jesus assures me of who he is. It convicts me of where I am, and it comforts me that I am never alone. It kind of reminds me of the psalm, Psalm 139, where David is speaking of God's awareness of him. And he says in verse 7, "'Where shall I go from your spirit, and where shall I flee from your presence?' If I ascend up into heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall your hand lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness will cover me, even the night shall be light about you. He understood that no matter where he went, no matter how distant he may feel or be from God, that God was aware of him. God knew where he was. God knew his thoughts. God knew everything about him. And God knows the same about us. There's no problem in our life that separates us from God's knowing. And there's no sin in our life that we can hide and separates us from God's knowing. So great accountability and comfort in this. So what would be the word for the day to us? It'd be this, be known. Know that you are known. Your thoughts, your presence, your troubles are all known today. God is aware. Thank you for listening today to In the Word. Join us every Tuesday and Friday for new episodes as we continue our devotional journey together through the New Testament.